We're going to come round to the Word of God now, and I'm going to invite Ben, who's going to come and bring us the reading this morning. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12, and verses 16 to 18 this morning. So Romans chapter 12, verses 16 to 18. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Thank you, Ben. Let's pray together as we open up this scripture this morning. Father God, we do thank you for your words, and we do thank you, Lord God, that your word pulls no punches. That in scripture, we find ourselves and our lives being read. And I ask, Lord God, today, as we open up this passage, as we talk about maybe some difficult issues today, that, Lord, you'll give us a spirit of grace towards one another and show us, Holy Spirit, what you would have us do off the back of this particular scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we open up scripture today, and as we look at this particular passage today, I really want to start off with a little bit of a disclaimer this morning, because during this morning's message, we're going to touch on one or two subjects which some people may well find a little bit hard. Some people may well struggle with a little bit. Some people may well get offended by today. And what I would really want you to hear as we begin opening this up together today really is my heart. I have never stood in a pulpit with the express intention of offending people. I've never stood in a pulpit with the express intention of causing an adverse reaction to something that I say. I've never stood in a pulpit thinking, right, am I going to rile some people up today? But I would be doing scripture And I would be doing discipleship, I believe, a disservice if at times we didn't touch on some of those things which we are confronted with, which are perhaps hard and would be easier to sweep under the carpet. And really today, my message is part two of Zoe's message from last week. We were away in London together last week, myself and Gemma, and I caught up on the message that Zoe preached on our way back, and I thought Zoe did an excellent job when she was talking about the subject of conflict. Recognizing, really, that conflict happens, but it's not the end. It doesn't have to be the end of things. It doesn't mean we have to part ways when we face conflict, because we recognize that in every sphere of life, conflict happens. And as Christians, we have a prophetic voice to speak into the realms of conflict because when we fight, we're called to fight differently. We should always be a people who seek the root of peace and restoration. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? But what happens when our fighting is simply more than disagreeing on maybe some trivial issues? What happens... When our fighting and our conflict surrounds the very core of our beliefs. What happens when we start to disagree on theological matters? Sadly, 
Generally, what happens is that things get heated and then carnage ensues. Churches split. People refuse to talk to one another. People bear grudges against one another because of theological stances that they take. And it ultimately can get very, very messy. Let's face it, the fact that there are so many denominations in this world often is a case of theological splits, that churches look at a certain situation or subject and think, we can't agree on this, so we're going to go our separate ways. And did you know that Hope Baptist Church itself was founded on a theological split. If you've been on our partners course recently, you may remember when we talk about some of the history of the church, that Hope Baptist Church, like many Baptist churches across the city, traces its roots back to one church from 1798. And a disused chapel at this point was bought in Morris Square for the Baptist denomination. There was a man called the Reverend Thomas Horton, who was the pastor at the time. He was pastor at this particular church for about 30 years when he felt compelled to resign in 1852. You see, this particular pastor held this long and deepening conviction that the communion table should be open to all Christians, regardless if they were baptized believers or not. And the church had discussions about this, and they had meetings about this, and eventually they decided that they would hold a separate service for those Christians who weren't baptized believers and members of the church in order for them to take communion at a separate time to the rest of the church. Certain people, however, known as busybodies, thank God there's no busybodies in the church today, but certain people who got the uh, reputation as busybodies objected to it so much that they would turn up at this service and they would disrupt it in a way that it could not possibly take place. So the pastor resigned. And with that, 150 members of the church also resigned as well. And shortly after, the Reverend Thomas Horton agreed to lead the inaugural Hope Baptist Church. The issue is that when deeply held convictions are challenged, it can often feel like a personal attack. And instead of pursuing dialogue, we can end up finding ourselves in fight mode. But here's the thing. We may not be scrapping about the communion table anymore, but theological issues and theological matters will always come up that we are going to disagree on. And don't get me wrong, When it comes to theological issues and theological matters, there are certain issues that are theological red lines that we cannot simply cross. The work and the person of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the Trinity, these are all absolutely fundamental to who we are as believers. But what happens when these theological issues and these theological matters are a little bit more grey? What happens when these issues and matters are a little bit harder to define? Let's face it, the church, and I'm not talking about Hope Baptist Church here, but the church in general has faced some humdingers over the years, hasn't it? And maybe if you've been a partner here for a long time, you might remember some of the conversations in this place which took place around these things. Things like the nature of worship the role of women in ministry, things like the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are all things that the church have argued about and the church have struggled with 
and the church have at times split over. Let's call a spade a spade for a minute. I guess one of the biggest things that the church in general is struggling with at the moment is the concept of human sexuality. And there are people here today in this particular congregation that are carrying great hurts and great burdens because they have seen fellowships that they love literally torn apart and ripped to shreds because of this very issue. And I'm not going to get into the dealings of other churches today. That's none of my business. I don't know what went on. But I do remember that when I came to Hope Baptist Church for my interview, and I came to here to speak to the search team and then to speak to the leadership team and to speak to the church, this was a really big issue. I was grilled extensively on what my take and my position on this particular subject was. And the answer that I gave then was that I hold a conservative evangelical viewpoint when it comes to human sexuality, that I believe that sex is a gift from God designed for one man and one woman within the context of marriage. And those are the core beliefs that I still hold on to, and those are the things that I teach. But I do recognize that for some people in this room today, that me even saying that out loud causes great pain. Because when we start to talk about these issues, we're not talking about a theoretical, theological concept. We're talking about sons and daughters. We're talking about friends and family and neighbors, people who we love dearly. These aren't just theory, but these are live things for so many people. And as a result, when things like this are talked about, and they're not talked about in the right way, they ultimately end up cutting deep. And what can end up happening is that two trenches begin to get dug. In one trench, you'll get those people who hold a conservative evangelical view, and in the other trench, you'll get people who hold maybe a more progressive view. And the problem is that those who hold a more progressive view will look at people in the other trench and they'll say, well, they're just a bunch of homophobes. And those who hold a more conservative view on these kind of matters look at people in the kind of uh, more progressive trench and say, well, they're just a bunch of liberals. They don't read their Bible correctly. And instead of pursuing genuine dialogue, genuine discussion, what happens is division ensues. And here's the thing. Within any congregation the size of hopes, when we start to talk about theological issues and theological matters... There will always be a wide range of viewpoints on a number of different things, regardless of what is talked about and taught from the front. And conversations around some of these things that I'm mentioning will have to happen, not just at Hope, but in the church in general at some point. But unless we can disagree well, we'll never really truly be able to talk about these things, because what happens is it will just end up as a bloodbath. And the point of this morning's message is not to open up difficult conversations and start conversations around these things at this point. The point of this morning's message is to begin to get a biblical understanding of what it means to walk in harmony and what it means to walk in unity even when we disagree on certain things. You know, I love Romans chapter 12. The passage we read from came from Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is probably one of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible. It starts off by saying, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. It goes on to say, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And then from verse 9 of chapter 12, 
what we get really is a list of bullet point commands which paint a picture for us about what it means to live as a living sacrifice. And really, the unifying theme of the entire chapter is that we effectively set ourselves aside to love God with all of our hearts, to love people, and to serve people, even our enemies. And as we hone in on this particular part of this chapter in verses 16 to 18, I love the picture that Paul paints for us here. He says this, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of a low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What Paul is not doing here is instructing Christians to have the same opinions on everything. If we were to skip, in fact, to Romans chapter 14, we would see that Paul discusses the fact that on a number of different things, Christians may have very different opinions. And when Paul tells us here to live in harmony with one another. For me, at least, what it brings up in my mind is, the, is musical connotations. Now, I am not musical in any way, shape, or form. I tried to learn a number of instruments as a kid. I had flute lessons for a while. I had piano lessons for a while. My stepdad was a very accomplished drummer. He was a session musician. He was desperate to teach me the drums, so I tried learning the drums for a while. But to be honest, unless it was round and I could kick it, I wasn't really that interested in these things. So I didn't really stick at any of these things. I gave up very quickly. But what I do know is if I were to come over to the keyboard, for example, and just press the keys like this, it wouldn't make a very nice sound. But with the same fingers, if I just adjust them slightly, they start to play in harmony with one another. They're different notes, but then the harmony comes. And this is what I believe Paul is getting at here in Romans chapter 12. He's not saying, right, you need to agree on absolutely everything. But when we just bash at things and we go for one another, what ends up happening is carnage ensues, and the sound that we make is not a sound which is going to glorify God, glorify his church, or be a witness to the world. But if we just change our stance slightly, not necessarily our opinions or our theological beliefs, suddenly harmony begins to ensue and we become an accurate reflection of the body of Christ, and we speak prophetically into a world which has so much conflict going on that we can still walk together in harmony and unity even when we don't always agree. And with that in mind, I just wanted to give a bit of a testimony here at this point to show, really, I guess, the journey that I've been on in, in, in this particular field and, and walk in this particular way. This week I recorded a testimony with a friend of mine who holds very different theological views to me. And I just want to show that video now, if that's okay. Cool, so I'm joined by one of my good friends, Gemma Dunning. Gemma, you're a minister somewhere in London, that's right. What's your church? 
Somewhere in London, yeah. Somewhere I'm the pastor at Mitcham Lane Baptist Church, which is in Streatham, so southwest London. Cool. So our friendship goes back about eight years or so now, doesn't it? I was a uh, second year at college and I remember sitting in the dining room at college one day and you walked in for your college interview and I think it's fair to say that I was quite wary of you as you came <laughs> to college because I knew something about you before you came to college. I, I followed you on Twitter. We were both in youth work at one point or another and we have friends in similar circles so I did know of you and knew that probably from a theological sense at least we had quite different stances uh, on a number of things. Um, I'm interested to know, Gemma, actually, what your view of me was when you first met me. Oh, Luke, this feels like a long time ago now. Um, and I do laugh about it often because I'm always asked when people say, do you know Luke? And I say, yeah, yeah, we're really good friends. The shock on people's faces of like, really? <laughs> yes, really. So I remember that day very well because you were there and it was my interview. And I obviously there was an, a few other friends of ours that were around but I definitely realized quite quickly that you had followed me on Twitter and that you knew some of the quite big views of things that were important to me in particular that you knew those theological views and that I knew that your views would be quite polarized to me so there was this odd from my perspective there was this odd thing of okay that's Luke yeah yeah Luke knows who I am and I know who Luke is and we probably aren't going to be mates yeah which is really interesting isn't it because the reality is we became quite good friends and out of everyone that I went to college with we do probably keep in touch the most and, and generally when there's a big pastoral issue going on in the church life or things that I need to talk through you're one of the first people I, I tend to turn to uh, to seek advice from this stuff so it's really funny how how things went and I don't know what your perspective on that that kind of journey was I can give mine in a minute but I just wonder how you found going from that point where I guess we were a little bit wary of each other to a point where actually we became friends yeah I mean I don't you probably don't even remember this at all but I remember one time probably in the first few weeks of being at college I sat down next to you and you moved no, I ain't got a clue. I don't remember that. It might have been because it was lunchtime and I was hungry and I like to get probably, first Probably, and it probably wasn't anything deliberate or intentional or like thought through, but it made, it was enough that it made me go, okay, we do have differences, but we're here in this process of learning and growing and being discipled. College is very much not just an academic environment, is it, but a discipling environment. We clearly do have a lot that we have in common. And we both are clearly passionate about Jesus. So I probably need to think about how we're going to move forward because we, like, we were always going to be together for that season of time, not just for being in college, but then for NAMS and afterwards. It was always going to run in parallel. And that's a long time to spend with people that maybe you don't like or know or want to be with. So I guess I just kind of made a conscious effort that I was going to try and win you over. Yeah, well, that's interesting. And I think the, the way you did that was through Percy Pigs, really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, there was an abundance of Percy Pigs. And I just remember one day trying to spark a conversation with you that just came quite naturally about what can I pray for you for? And obviously you're, you've got your Gemma. So there's you know double Gemma and family and I've got a family. And that seemed like some very natural starting points to be able to have some very 
basic conversations to get to know a little bit more about one another's lives outside of college and to hear one another's truths. And I think that was kind of quite key. And then we find out, you know, we both like steak and um, your football team's rubbish, but, you know, I still love you and all of those things. And so you get to know each other in a different way, which just I found really helpful at cementing some good foundations for us to be able to hold things that were different yeah, no, that's really good. And I think for me, one of the turning points really for us in our friendship was when I was in my third year, I had to write a dissertation and I chose to write a dissertation looking at missional communities, looking at the Baptist pioneer movement and looking at people who were doing things in the kind of Baptist movement, which would maybe vastly different from your kind of average church mm. setting. And you very much were doing very different things down in Bournemouth. So I chose... Uh, I asked you to if I could come down and spend a day with you and look at what you were doing and kind of enter into your world for a little bit. I, I had three places that I was going to to look at various different things. And I'll be honest, I had already made my mind up before I went down to see you which of these particular things I was going to like the most okay. and which of these things which I was going to like the least. And I'd already started to plan in my head how I was going to write my dissertation based on my own preconceived thoughts, my own preconceived ideas. Mm. But actually coming to spend a day with you and seeing what you did and seeing the kind of Christ-like heart that you had for the people that you were ministering to kind of totally changed my outlook on, on you, on your ministry, on what you were doing. And the reality is, when it comes to theological stances, we both still have very different theological stances mm. on a number of issues. But in the midst of that, we've become friends, we've become united, and we're able to walk a journey of faith together. Uh, and that was a really humbling experience for me. And I'd just be interested in your kind of insight into really what can unite us as the body of Christ? Because let's be honest, we're not the only people that have got theological differences. Mm -hmm. You go to any church congregation, and what you'll find is people with very opposing views on a number of different things. Yeah. How can we walk, do you think, in genuine unity when there are things that we disagree on? No doubt, there are some theological red lines. Uh, there are things we have to agree on when it comes to the gospel and things. But equally, there are things where there are grey areas and there's scope for different opinions and different viewpoints how could how do you feel we can walk united in those things yeah I mean I remember you asking to come and that internal monologue in my head I don't think I said it out loud but the internal of you know what what agenda what agenda has Luke got and what's he gonna what's he gonna what angle is he coming from and how's he gonna play this um and I think it's fair to explain to people that you were coming to see me in a gay bar you know, my ministry was within uh, an LGBT community and that's what you were coming to see. And then quite clearly, God spoke to me and just said, just continue to be what I've called you to be with the people I've called you to be with. And I think that was quite a humbling experience. That actually, I didn't need to do anything different in order to accommodate you into my world for that moment. I just needed to do what God had called me to do. And I was very clear what God had called me to in that space. And I think that's what you saw. I think you saw Christ in me, Christ in that place and Christ at work at transforming people, maybe not in a similar way to you had expected or maybe not in a way that you would imagine would sit theologically where you sit. 
but there was something going on that you couldn't deny either. And I guess that's kind of quite key for when we look at each other and we see some theological differences. There are many different things that people have differences of opinion on, but that we see Christ in each other, as in I see you as someone who is fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, I don't want to big your head up, but, you know, you are a beautiful human being because you're made by a God, a creator God who loves them dearly. I see Christ at work in you. So I see you being transformed every day. I see you growing and learning and leaning into who Jesus is calling you to be. And then I see you at work sharing the love of Jesus with others, calling them into a relationship with Jesus. So if I can see those things in you, in the context that you're in, and I hope you see those things in me, in the context I'm in, then the other bits seemingly don't matter so much. Although saying that, I think there are some things that do matter. So if you were really rude to me, or you were aggressive with me, or you, you know, spoke out of turn, I probably wouldn't want to be your mate. But because we're able to look at the fruit of the spirit, and I think we've probably both had to work hard to, naturally, you know, as individuals, uh, to call on the spirit to work at us within those fruits and to grow and develop them as individuals. If we've got those foundations in place, if we can see Christ in one another, then we can continue to walk together, not anticipating that I will change you or you will change me, but actually hoping that Christ will change both of us. Yeah, no, that's so good. And I think with that, a humble heart has to be the key, doesn't it? You know, yeah. the reality is, whatever issue that we're talking about, when we're talking theology, to some degree or another, all of us have er erroneous views of God somewhere in our thoughts and our thinking. And it, for me, it comes down to realising that actually I don't have that kind of monopoly on, on who God is. Um, I'm seeking him day by day. I'm trying mm -hmm. to seek the truth and walk faithfully to what I believe scripture calls me to. And the key, I, I think, for the church is, uh, or the key question, if you like, is how do we do that and without spilling blood on the carpet, really, isn't it? Um, it is, and it's a tough one because particularly, like, we've just touched on the LGBT thing, like, that that issue... And I, and I don't like calling it an issue because it's people, but it is a big issue for the church. And 20 years ago, divorce was a big issue for the church. And I'm sure there are other issues that are coming. When we think about euthanasia and assisted dying and all of you know, abortion, they are emotive subjects because they are quite personal to people. But in amongst all of that, I have never stopped and thought Luke doesn't read his Bible properly. <laughs> you know, I've... I know that you take scripture seriously. I know that you love God and that you love God's people and you want the best for them. So we might land theologically in a different place, but I don't think I've ever felt that you think I don't take my Bible seriously. And I would hope that I've never thought that about you, that we give each other enough respect actually to say, no, this is someone who's doing their work and within the best understanding that they have, this is where they're, they're sitting. And that we continue to do that, even if life shifts and changes around us. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Gemma, I just want to honour you for who you are and say thank you for your friendship to me. You have taught me a lot and I look forward to continuing to walk this journey of faith as friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ uh, with mm -hmm. you. 
Amen, Luke. You're all right. I quite like you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time and uh, I look forward to speaking to you soon. Take care. So that's just an insight into a friendship that I have with someone who has vastly different theological views to me. And the reason I wanted to show that today is because I guess this testimony of helping me see things, not necessarily theologically different, because I I do hold to some very firm convictions about a number of things, but how I can walk with my brothers and sisters in Christ, even when we do disagree, is a key question for the church in general, and for Hope Baptist Church too, because I know on a number of things, there are people who are going to disagree on certain issues. So, What do we learn today from Romans chapter 12, verses 16 to 18, about how we can be a people who disagree well, but walk together in unity? I want to give you four brief things I believe this scripture teaches us today. The first one is this. We should be a people who seek harmony through humility. The only way that we can enter into another person's emotions and to begin to understand where a person is coming from is to seek to be humble. I love the way the Amplified version of the Bible puts this particular passage. It says this, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, conceited, self-important or exclusive, but associate yourself with humble people, those with a realistic self-view. And do not overestimate yourself. The Greek word for harmony, which we read here, literally means to think the same things towards one another. I'm reminded of a verse that we're going to look at together in a few weeks' time, which is found in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, which says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, if we're truly going to be a people who are able to walk together, even in the midst of disagreements at times, be those personal disagreements, theological disagreements, whatever those disagreements may be, we must learn to have Christ's view of each other as we're talking, as we're communicating, and as we're being together. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. And Paul points out here for us, really, that the greatest enemy to humility is pride. He says, associate yourself with humble people. The issue is that when disagreements get ugly, it's often because we are too proud to really listen. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10 says this, that pride only breeds quarrels. And one of the surefire ways and the surefire signs that perhaps pride reigns in our hearts is that we can very easily become defensive and self-focused when we're presented with issues that maybe we don't agree with. Because what happens is it makes us feel a little bit threatened or worried that actually everything that we believe is now coming under attack. Being humble does not mean turning to a person and saying, okay, forget what I believe. We'll just go with your things and your take on things, and that will be the end of the situation. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that we're called to listen, we're called to hear, and we're called to give grace to the people that we're communicating with, even when we think they may be wrong. I wonder who you need to listen to right now. I wonder who God might be calling you to sit down with right now and just simply say, help me understand. Not so 
you can counter their claims and to win an argument, but so that you can genuinely begin to understand another's point of view. The second thing I believe this scripture teaches us today is that we should be people who resist paying, repaying a wrong. Debates, arguments, disagreements often end up with hurting people, don't they? And you know how the old saying goes? Hurting people hurt people. And the first part of verse 17 for us today says that we should not repay evil with evil. See, what happens when we find ourselves hurt by someone's words or their thoughts or their opinions is that our natural tendency at times can be to think, right, how can I retaliate here? How can I get one back here? And what happens at that point is that things begin to escalate and it ruins our witness to a world that so desperately needs Jesus. We can't always avoid disagreements. Disagreements will happen. And we can't always avoid people choosing to dislike us or even hate us because of the theological stance that we might choose to take. But here's the thing. You don't have to hate them back. In a world which is rife with conflict, in a world which is seeing war, hardship and injustice, the way that we treat each other despite our differences at times has something prophetic to speak into a world of turmoil. Friends, who do you need to show grace to today? The third thing I believe this scripture teaches us is that as the people of God, we need to realize that it is always right to do what is right. The second part of verse 17 says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of of everyone. It's really easy to misunderstand what Paul is getting at here. What he's not saying is that we are going to agree with everyone all of the time. And he's not saying that it is our job to make everyone happy. But it is our job to live holy lives by consistently doing what is right. Notice the word careful here that Paul uses. What Paul is implying here is that we are to take thought beforehand when we go into a situation about how we're going to respond in certain situations. Often, the reason things get heated, the reason situations get out of hand, is because we can be so haphazard with our words. We can be so haphazard and simply shoot from the hip when we respond instead of taking careful consideration about how we're going to frame our words. I wonder, when you head into a situation that you may feel is going to be contentious, do you rehearse the right thing to do before you enter it? Do you think, what would Christ have me say in the midst of this before you speak? Do you seek, I wonder, how you can be a blessing to another person rather than a burden to those that you interact with? Because when we do, barriers begin to come down. And it's there and in that sphere that we can have genuine dialogue with one another and genuinely see constructive conversation happen in a meaningful way. I wonder if there's someone right now that you need to make right or wrong with today. I wonder if there's someone that you have had a preconceived idea about which has tainted the way that you interact with them and God is saying, I want you to do what is right today.
And the fourth thing I believe this particular passage teaches us this morning is that we need to be a people who live at peace if possible. Romans chapter 12 verse 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. How do we foster a sense of peace and a sense of unity, both as individuals and as a church, whilst recognizing that we're going to have theological differences and disagreements at times? How do we avoid getting caught up in divisive and destructive arguments and disagreements? How do we enjoy the kind of harmony that God intends for his people to have? As I bring this message to a close, here are some principles I think help us to live in peace. We must remember, first and foremost, that peace and harmony is not something which is automatic. We have to consciously make an effort and consciously work at living in peace and harmony. It requires effort, it requires prayer, it requires the grace of God, it requires the Spirit of God moving in us to seek that peace and harmony. That's why we read in Romans 14 and verse 9, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. To be at peace... We also need to have a sense of perspective on a situation too. You don't blow up a house in order to deal with a mouse problem. But so often that is the route that the church takes when it comes to contentious issues and discussing things which might cause division. We blow it up and carnage therefore ensues. To keep peace and to live at peace as well, we must also know how to guard and to tame our tongues. Proverbs 12 and verse 18 says this, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I wonder if you've ever been on the end of some reckless words that have been spoken to you. I know I have. I wonder if you've ever spoken some reckless words that have pierced like a sword. To my shame, I know I have too. And if we're going to be a people that live at peace, genuinely live at peace with one another, we need to learn how to guard our tongues at times. I wonder how many times arguments within the life of the church arise because we choose to speak in a reckless way. Friends, the fact of the matter is, at times as Christians, on a number of different issues, we're going to have differences of opinions. We're going to have different theological understandings maybe about what we see in Scripture on certain issues. Those understandings will never be resolved in the face of an argument. Those understandings will never be brought together by us going to war with one another. Those understandings begin to work themselves out when as Christians we can sit down with one another, have a humble heart, be gracious towards one another, being willing to listen, being willing to always do what is right, and being willing to make every effort to live at peace. It is then, and it's only then, that we'll find ourselves in a position to walk together, united, in peace and harmony with one another. I'm going to invite the band to come back up.
And if you're in the room, I'm going to invite you to stand. And this morning, I just want to take a moment of reflection. I want us to take a moment to search our own hearts and maybe to look in our own hearts and ask the question, is there someone that I have offended by my words? Is there a relationship which has broken down because of the way I have treated other people? Have there been times in my walk that I have been so convinced that I need to win an argument that I fail to see the person in front of me? And this morning, I want to lead us all in a prayer of repentance for that, because the reality is we've probably all found ourselves in that position. And then I want to pray for some people this morning that maybe are carrying some hurt in some of these areas. So let's just spend a moment in silence for the time being. And God, I pray you'll search all of our hearts. Thank you that your word tells us that you do search our hearts. So this morning we give you permission. Search our hearts, Lord. Bring to remembrance maybe some of those things that we have done which have not been honoring to you. Some of those things that we might have said at times which have caused division rather than unity. Some of the ways that maybe we have behaved which have hindered witness rather than helped it. Father God, I pray this morning that you will help us as a congregation choose the path of unity. Recognizing that theologically, yes, there are some red lines that can't be crossed. But also recognizing that in the midst of a congregation, different thoughts and feelings and opinions will also ensue. Help us on that path of grace when we don't agree. Help us to listen well and to seek unity in Jesus' name. Amen.